You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Sierra Bible Church. If uh, I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Jesse, and uh, I get to do most of the, the Bible teaching here on uh, Sunday mornings, and just want to thank you for being here, and uh, and come see me afterwards. We can have a good conversation. Of course, those of you I get to see every week, love you. You guys are awesome. Um, why don't you give them a round of applause for uh, blessing us with their gift, and <clears throat> Deborah has, did a good job with the team there, and so is Ryan Gilpin. Some of you may uh, know Brad Knoll is on a three-month sabbatical, which we give our pastors when they've been here for 10 years. And, and uh, so far, uh, nothing has gone wrong except for one thing, and you probably haven't even noticed it. Um, the lights behind me on the stage, we can't figure out why they won't turn on. So Brad oversees all that stuff, which I know, like, like if, if you're me, you notice. If you're not me, you don't even care. But I feel like those lights make me taller, and, and so... It's kind of been a big deal. And in fact, last week, last week, this does happen on occasion. It's always fun. Someone came up to me after the service and said, uh, I hadn't met them yet. And they came up to me after the service and said, oh, uh, you're a lot taller on the stage. And I said, yes, I appreciate you noticing that. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Uh, how can I pray for you? Um, and uh, yeah, so we're uh, in the book of James. We're going to do a couple things here uh, while you turn there to chapter five. Uh, so raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. We'd love for you to read along with us. Uh, like I said, we're in James 5, and I'm, I'm going to give a quick little spiel on biblical literacy uh, as I do on occasion, and that is just to say it's really important for Christians to know their Bibles. And so if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that by and large, uh, we take a book of the Bible, and we go through said book of the Bible, and on occasion, we do topical sermons. We're going to do a couple topical sermons coming up because we are finishing James uh, this morning, uh, and then we're going to get into the book of Ruth after that. And the reason for that is, is when you go through books of the Bible, it forces, it forces me to not avoid difficult topics uh, and difficult passages. Uh, also, what, what topical sermons are, and there's nothing wrong with topical sermons, it's just not my main preference. And in that I know my proclivity with topical sermons is to pick the topical sermons I deem best, that I like, that I enjoy. And so it, it's, it's easy to fall... Uh, into the trap of like just always talking about God's love and avoiding the topic of God's wrath or or sin or repentance and some of those difficult things. And the reason I mentioned biblical literacy is just because um, I, I have some friends that, that I know that are going to be going through a, a book, and so I wanted to check out this book to see what it was all about. And I'm not going to mention the book, but I, I read the back of the book, and the description on the back of the book, just the description alone was like biblically way off, so off that I couldn't even believe that you know, my, my friends that I knew were going to be reading this book. And I was like, man, this wouldn't be happening if, if we were just more literate with the Bible. And, and what I mean by that is that you know what Scripture teaches. You know what's biblical. You don't need extra biblical stuff. You need biblical stuff. And, um, and, <clears throat> and so I want to encourage you to, to just really become closely acquainted with Scripture. And, and then uh, I, I've had people over the years who've told me, listen, you make such a big emphasis on reading scripture. And I've had people in our church who've said, I, I have dyslexia and I've struggled with dyslexia for a long time. Reading is really, really difficult. What do I do? Well, welcome to 2019 where you can get an app on your phone, on your iPad, on your computer. Uh, there's an app that's called Bible.is. Anybody have that app by chance in the, in the room? A few of you do. Bible.is, actually, what's really cool about Bible.is is that if you get the app, some of you are downloading it now, I can tell. Um, if you get the app, it'll read scripture to you. And if you find that your language is too boring, you can actually 
you can actually have it read it to you in Scottish, uh, a Scottish accent or an English accent, probably even a German accent. You can find any accent that you want. Because everything sounds better in Scottish. Uh, that's kind of my opinion. That's I really enjoy Alistair Begg. He's a great preacher, uh, biblical biblical student, and just does a good job uh, preaching. And he's got that Scottish accent. He just sounds holier than everybody else uh, because he's Scottish. Um, and and then uh, one one note I want to make for you is we you know we do on occasion we've got food for you next door after uh, in between services which we did today. Uh, and then next week we're going to be doing a, a burrito feed, so there'll be food after both services. And uh, it's to raise funds for our, our trip down to Mexico to serve Travis and Amber with So Ministries. We've got a great team that's going. Uh, if you don't know anything about Travis and Amber, they, they serve orphans and widows in Mexico, uh, doing a tremendous job there, and we're going to be supporting them. Uh, and then I want to uh, bring up uh, one of my old junior high high school students when I was a youth pastor, Shannon Brimer. So some of you know Shannon, and um, Shannon's going to share with you what she's up to. Yeah, give her a hand. Hi. Tell them um, what you do. Okay. <laughs> so basically, I came up here um, a couple months ago. I've been at it with an organization for about four and a half months that I interned with last year for six months. Um, I am a house parent, case manager, and med manager for um, about 30 different kids um, that I work with. Uh, there's three different programs that I work with. One program is specifically for kid, for minors, 12 to 18-year-olds, who have been commercially sexually exploited. And then the other two programs are separated by girls and boys, and they are 12 to 18 years old, and they're at-risk youth. So basically what that means is um, they're on the spectrum of kids who have been struggling with self-harm and suicide, all the way to drug addiction, alcohol addiction, or um, sexual abuse, whether that be incest or on a date or... Um, what have you as far as sexual abuse and even kids who are being groomed for commercial sexual exploitation. Um, and I just wanted to come before you guys because you've been supporting me through prayer and even financially um, and give you guys an update on prayer requests um, and then also just lay some needs before you. Um, we had had five kids who were saved and baptized in the last three months. So that's super incredible. It's super crazy. Um, these kids obviously come from super rough past. So the fact that the Lord is using us um, in this ministry to like breathe life is just incredible. And it's so beautiful to watch them be dunked into water and raised up into new life. Um, but also I just wanted to give a praise report for one of our most intense cases. Uh, one of our girls who was commercially sexually exploited by her mom um, from the time that she can remember. Um, she, her mom basically injected her chest area um, with steroids in order for her to um, grow breasts at the age of six. And since then, she's had overly enlarged breasts and an incredible infection um, that we have been fighting, the organization has been fighting over the last year for her to get help with through surgery. And by the grace of God and the state of California, we are getting surgery for her next week, which is huge. She is incredibly excited to not be in pain anymore. Um, and then also she recently, we found for her a forever family. And um, so when she graduates from this program, she will be going to that family and they will be her family for forever. Not until she turns 18, but until she is on her deathbed. So that is a huge praise report. And something she's desired for a very long time. Um, 
but also if you can just be praying for our land specifically, um, we recently found out that our the land that we work on, um, the school that was there before us, um, there was a lot of sexual abuse between um, staff and students, and they were shut down for sexual abuse reasons. And so there's just a lot of darkness that has lingered on that mountain that um, the kids feel, staff feels, and um, there's just a lot of evil that is fighting for those lives as much as God and his angels, and we are fighting for the lives of them. Um, so we have about 15 to 20 pastors coming up next month to pray over our land and dedicate it to the Lord. Um, that it would be renewed and a place of holiness and peace. Um, so please be praying for that. And then also just for protection um, from the state and then also support from the state. That's a huge long story, but if you know what I mean by that, we would love support from the state. <laughs> um, and then also just for monetary needs for the program, financial um, needs that we need as we continue to provide for these children. Um, and then, yeah, so I will be in the back near the info booth. So if you want to talk more, I would love to talk to you about what I do and what we're doing up there. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Some heavy stuff that Shannon's dealing with. It's a, it's a blessing for, for me, just from my perspective to, you know, my wife and I took a step of faith, moved here 14 years ago to take over the junior high and senior high. At that time, there were eight kids between the two the the two uh age groups there and shannon and and uh courtney were two of them so there was only six others and uh and then it grew exponentially and and to now see her do what she's doing to go through high school and go through moody bible college and to take her life lay it down at the foot of the lord and to do something that to be honest with you is very difficult and very emotional and very taxing for her. My wife talks to her on a regular basis, prays for her, encourages her. And, and so I get to hear uh, secondhand some of the things that she's experiencing and going through. Uh, you just got a small taste of it, but to actually be there, meet that girl, love that girl, pray with that girl that she's talking about is a whole nother level of emotional taxation. And so I just want Shannon to know we are in your court. We love you. We're behind you. And uh, yeah. We care about you. And so please take some time to meet her if you if you desire to. Figure out how you can uh, partner with her and support her. And, of course, you know, as she stated, you know, when you give to Sierra Bible Church, these are the kind of things that we want to put, uh, you know, your tithes and your offerings to. We don't want to spend them on making everything beautiful in the building and trying to expand and all that. In fact, we are, I hear every week how desperate we are for more space at our church. We're continuing to grow and um, we're just we're out of space everywhere. Someone just told me this morning that our kitchen's too small, and and um, and but at the same time, we know that if if Jesus can can reproduce, you know, thousands of fish with just a few hundred or just a twelve, you know, he can he can do a lot with with this. And so uh, we're okay with that. We want to do more for the kingdom. We want to invest in the kingdom, and we want to see people's lives changed for the kingdom. And that's that's what matters most. And so I hope you take comfort in that <clears throat> when you offer that act of worship to the Lord financially, that's what you're doing. Um, and if you're uh, new with us this morning, we have a tradition. If you're able to uh, stand during the reading of Scripture, we, as I said earlier, we care deeply about God's Word. We want to honor it. I'm going to read from James chapter 5, starting in verse 12. <clears throat> but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be your yes, and your no be your no. 
so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins." We ask, Lord, now that you would remove distraction and anything that would hinder us from hearing what you want to say. Again, Lord, each week it it is my hope that where my words are not sufficient, that you would fill the gap, that you would minister to your people. These are your sheep. These are the ones that you loved. These are the ones you do love. These are the ones that you will love forevermore. Lord, you died on the cross for their sins, and you rose again from the dead that you would conquer death even for them to live forever in eternity with you. We trust you now to speak to your people. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may be seated. So, <clears throat> the uh, title of the message this morning is Promises, Prayer, and Power. If you've been with us, you know that there's been kind of a, a couple major themes within James that have stood out, the biggest of which is that James is encouraging you and I, you and I as Christians to continue within our sanctification the million-dollar word, that we would not be stagnant in our growth, but that we would care about our relationship with God, we would be so moved by the grace of God that we would desire to continue to be molded and shaped in his image. We see in James that this is something that is an ongoing process. It's, It's not an easy process. In fact, James says in many ways that reading Scripture and being challenged by Scripture is to look in the mirror and to see one's filth and stain. And he says you have a couple options in doing so. One is to do something about it, and the other is to walk away and forget that you ever saw what you saw in the mirror. Nonetheless, the call is for us to continue to grow. There's been several other themes, but it has been a challenging book. The other theme that James has just hammered upon is the idea of speech, that your words matter, right? He tells us in the book of James that your tongue is is an unruly fire, it's unquenchable, no one can tame it. And, And now he adds to this idea. It's as if James is just relentless with the mouth and with the tongue and with words. And here we see the the promises and the power of prayer within the passage. The first part that I read to you, we'll just spend just a few moments on it, is he, he talks about the power of promises. He tells us in the text here, which is really interesting, don't make an oath. Don't swear by heaven, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. Don't swear by heaven, for, for it is, is, is his place where he dwells. Have you ever heard someone say to you, I promise in the name of Jesus for this to be true? What James is actually saying is don't do that. That's foolish. What he's doing is he's elevating our speech, all speech. He's sanctifying it to a holy level. He's saying, listen, as Christians, your word matters. So as a church, what he's telling us is that when you say you're going to do something, you should do it. If you say you can't do something, then you shouldn't do it. Maybe you made a promise to be at a certain place on Sunday at 1030, and you showed up at 1045. Now, maybe it wasn't a promise, but you understand what I'm saying. You let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. And one of the reasons this is important is it's, it, it, it allows us as Christians to shine bright 
in a world that's just filled with lies. You know, if you ever peruse through Facebook, you can come across all kinds of ridiculous videos. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself looking at a a 30-second video, and then you watch another two-minute video, and then another five-minute video, and then before you know it, you've wasted your entire day just looking at Facebook videos. I saw one, in in fact, where a a gentleman was talking to a lady, and they were picketing a riding for some particular reason, and uh, a couple of people were talking to the said lady, and they said, they said, you need to listen to the facts. You need to study, and you need to know what is true, and you need to know what is not true. And in order to do that, you're going to have to find facts. And I kid you not, the lady's response was, you don't need facts. You just need your emotions. Emotions are true, she said. Emotions are true. Now, I have no idea what kind of drugs the lady was using when she made the statement. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to be light, but what I do mean is, is as is scary as it sounds, that is the backdrop in which we live in now, to be ruled by the emotion. If you feel it, you can't deny it. As a pastor, one of the things when I talked about biblical literacy a minute ago, you know it's actually more dangerous for me in a Sunday gathering to say something politically incorrect than it is to say something biblically incorrect. It shouldn't be that way. We should understand that we are advocates of truth. Oftentimes when I'm sharing the gospel with someone who has not made the decision to follow Jesus Christ or does not want to follow them, I'll, I'll simply just state with them, I'll say, listen, I'm not going to just disagree with you. I'm not just going to tell you you're wrong. I'm not going to tell you you're an idiot. I'm an advocate of truth. Truth does not scare me. So if you can prove to me through facts, if you can prove to me through logic that my ideas and my, ideolo- my, my ideologies are wrong, then I will go your way. But let me present some facts to you as well. Let me persuade you with truth in hopes that as I share that truth, that God will do what he does, which is send his Holy Spirit to move the heart to a place where they become affectionate for the Lord. One author says in regards to promises, reiterating Jesus' words from Matthew 5, 37, James is calling for simple, straightforward, honest speech. Christians are to be those whose yes means yes and whose no means no. People of integrity have no need to swear or elaborate oaths to convince others of their truthfulness nor would they swear falsely to deceive people. That is why Jesus declared that anything beyond these is evil. Jesus lifted all conversations in his church to the level of sacredness. Believers are to be known as people who keep their word, having such integrity that their simple yes and no will suffice for people. In the words of Paul, therefore laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Speaking the truth in every situation will cause believers to shine forth in the darkness of the world of lies. So all that to be said, just briefly, let your yes be your yes, let your no be your no, be a person of integrity, let your speech be honest and true. I think James has placed this particular segment here as a segue, though, to his thoughts in verses 13 through 18 specifically. But now he gets into this idea of prayer, the most sacred of speech, the most sacred of talking. And there's three categories of prayer, if you notice. What James does is he takes the, ent- the entirety of prayer, and he says, okay, now, there are three obligations for prayer. Not just one, not just two, but three. And he places the obligation of prayer upon three groups of people. Verse 13, he says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, you have to, again, as you study Scripture, you, and you look at these things, you, you have to, I find, I find verse 13 somewhat comical. And the reason I find it comical is because James, James has not left the theme of suffering in the entire book. 
In chapter 1, he starts out, just as he ends the book, he says, hey, count it all joy when you encounter what? What kind of suffering? Various kinds of suffering. All kinds of suffering. Then in in chapter 5, if you remember, he talks about the rich and how they're oppressing the Christian Jewish people of the day. The the book is, is actually written to, it says, to those scattered abroad by the dispersion. The dispersion was caused because of persecution upon the church. James is actually writing specifically to a group of people that he knows is suffering. So then he asks the question, right? Is anyone suffering? He knows you are. He knows that somebody is going through something that's reading this book. And we've said it before in various trials, right? Trials have a way to to overcome us. They overwhelm us. They impact us. We struggle through them. Maybe you're going through one now. Maybe it's a small trial. Maybe it's a big trial. Or or if you're not going through one, you're as James says here, he says, is anyone cheerful? Life's just great. Sing praise. Maybe there's two of you here this morning, right? It's just a great day. And it is. It's really nice. It's so warm out. You notice that? I started sweating in the first service, which is really abnormal in the wintertime for me. He says, hey, if, if you have joy, great. But the chances are that if you are cheerful now, there is going to come a day that will be difficult. So I find it somewhat comical. Is anyone suffering? Well, if you're suffering, the obligation is for you as an individual to be a person of prayer. Right? What he's saying to the church right now is he's saying, listen, if you have the withal and you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're going through something that is difficult, he is telling you that you have an obligation to pray. Remember last week, James uses the example of a farmer. He says, consider the farmer, right? The farmer goes out to the field, he sows, he's digging in the dirt, he gets up really early, he has really long days, and then at a certain point in time after he's done everything that's necessary, he's got to let it go to the Lord, Rain has to come by God's sovereignty. The sun has to shine by God's sovereignty. And then the magical process of fruit coming forth from that which was planted in the earth is all according to God's sovereignty. So he's saying to us, and this has been the theme of the book, there's a job that you have as a Christian. One of the things that we take great joy in is talking about God's grace. Amen? Everyone loves God's grace. You You do not deserve salvation. You didn't earn it. You can't fight for it. There's nothing you can do to get it. It is a free gift from God. Blessed, blessed truth. But as Christians, when we talk about grace, we can never leave behind the obligation for obedience to said grace. That when you fall in love with the idea of grace, it should move you in such a way that says, I want to grow. I want to be a stronger Christian. I want to look more like Jesus. I want my identity to be, to be totally wrapped up in, in who God is. I don't want to be a person that is selfish and motivated by, by my own desires. I don't want to make shipwreck of my life. I don't want to make shipwreck of my kid's life. Any parents like that this morning? They're just like, man, I've already ruined them. My wife said to me the other night, I think we have failed as parents. So she said, don't tell her I told you that. And, and I told her, we won't know for another 20 years. <laughs> and there's truth to that. We don't want to fail. And, and because of God's grace, we say, okay, listen, there's a call to pray. This is praying for yourself, verse 13. Then there's a second call to prayer, verse 14. Is anyone sick? Let them go to the elders. Now, in our day and age, um, 
a lot of churches <clears throat> have started to follow, and this has been for years, way before, way before me, the corporate model of church. So a lot of churches, they have what they would call maybe like a leadership board or an executive board or something like that. When we, we're convinced, when we study the Bible, that there's a, there's a particular kind of structure to the church that should be followed. And, th- and that call is, we are what, what is considered biblically and theologically, we are considered an elder-led church. All that means is that we've got men who fit the, the qualifications that are written in Titus and Timothy. One of those qualifications, in addition to being pure and not being given to, to, to much wine and not being someone who is prideful and wants money, is somebody that has the ability to want to shepherd, love, and teach, specifically teach people God's word. So we have a group of men that are your elders in this church. If Seer Bible is your church, you have a group of men that are your elders in this church. They, they are called to pray for you. They hold me accountable. I'm, consider, I'm what's considered the first among equals, which is just a way to say I have equal voice with the elders. My voice does not carry two votes, and theirs only carries one. It's equal, and I'm accountable to them. Every year, I go through an evaluation process where those elders tell me what they think I'm doing well and what they think I could improve upon. And they've never told me what I need to improve upon. They say, everything's great, everything's awesome, just keep doing what you're doing. <clears throat> Super fun conversation every year. <laughs> just an ego rub. That's all it is. And the understanding that the pastor has a little bit more sway as far as influence goes just because I happen to be the guy that's up here more often than not. So we're elder-led. An elder is just an, it's really just another word for pastor. They're like your pastors. They're your shepherds. They're the people that, are, that care for you. And what he's saying here is he's saying, okay, listen, listen, you have the individual prayer. You're strong enough and, and your faith is strong enough that you understand that you can go to the Lord in prayer. But there's a kind of suffering, uh, as, what, as some theologians call it, the dark night of the soul. It's a time in your Christian life where you begin to feel like you're spiritually weak spiritually weary you're exhausted you're depressed you don't know how to pray and even when you do pray you feel like god is distant you feel like he's far away and even though everything in your mind tells you that the bible says that he'll never leave you he'll never forsake you god is is always by us and there's nothing we can do to earn it he said listen listen he's saying there's a kind of suffering and a kind of pain where you don't know how to say what you need to say so you need to go to your elders who are supposed to be examples of strength and you, you need to go to them and say pray for me Help me. It's a call to transparency in your life. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there. I've been there. I don't know how to pray. I don't know. I read scripture at times, right? And God does, I I don't hear his voice. And so we go to the elders. Now, let me just define a couple things here that are important within the text. One of the things that's extremely difficult for me, just just to be honest with you, is to come to a passage like this and to find all of the pitfalls of this particular segment of Scripture and to try to study all of the pitfalls so that I don't lead you into a pit that you're not supposed to go to. And I have to do it within so many days. It's like a deadline every week. And this particular passage is used within the the Catholic faith for what's called last rites. Any recovering Catholics in the room this morning? There's a few of you. We call them recovering Catholics. And, and within Catholicism, this is where they say, listen, the priest can come in on behalf of the priest. They can pray kind of a last prayer right before you die to kind of like almost like seal the deal for you, which is 
not really true. But within Protestant Christianity, there's what's called the prayer of faith. And what's taught within our circles at times is that, is that any illness, any sickness can be healed as long as you pray the prayer of faith. And the idea behind the prayer of faith is that if you come to an elder and you have cancer and if the elder's praying for you and his faith is there and, and, and if you have faith, you'll be healed. And if you don't have faith, you're not going to be healed. Now, that's, that's bad teaching, okay? We don't believe that. We reject that. And part of the reason is there's a great story in the New Testament with Jesus where, where this is exemplified. It's a tremendous story, a story that you've got you've to step into and, and just sense the emotion of what's happening within the particular passage. It's the place in Scripture where a father who has an only son comes to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, he says, I have a son who's burdened by a demon, quite possibly many demons. And he's so possessed that he's throwing himself in the fire to harm himself. He's cutting himself. He's abusing himself. He's out of control, Jesus. This is my only son. And he says, will you come and will you heal him? And if you re remember the story, Jesus says to him, do you believe? In essence, do you have faith? And the man's response, I think, is the best response in all the Bible. I believe. Help my unbelief. You know what he's saying? He's saying, like, like I'm here. I've heard that you can walk on water. And I know that you're fulfilling certain prophecies and you're speaking like no one else has ever spoke. So I know, I know there's something unique about you, but if I'm really, really honest, I don't know if I believe, but I'm here. And Jesus says, this is, this is what it is to really have faith. And he heals the boy. And the father, I'm sure, runs away rejoicing and believing that Jesus is truly who he said he was. See, part of, part of what he's saying here is he's saying, listen, this, this is important as we teach this text. James is not saying that if you have physical illness, you should come to an elder in the prayer of faith and you should expect said illness to be healed. James is not emphasizing, nor do I think James, or, nor do I think the rest of the Bible is really necessarily concerned with your physical well-being. He's concerned with the state of your spiritual soul. He's concerned that your heart gets healed. He's concerned that your soul gets healed. Right, this is why it's just really frustrating for me. For, and this is why, like I've told you before, in, in the community, I don't tell people I'm a pastor until they finally ask, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Oh, you don't look like a pastor. Praise the Lord. <laughs> because inevitably, inevitably what happens is, <laughs> Especially if you tell people you're a Christian, you get lumped into what they know. And what they know is what's on TV. Ah! No! And you've got dudes who stand up on TV and say, if you send me your money, I'll send you a rag. And if you hold that rag, you'll be healed. Or you've got people lining up and the guy's just talking about, come forward, have faith, we'll heal you of your physical ailment. And then somehow, some way, right, a person gets out of the wheelchair, their, their leg is no longer broken. They're, they're okay, they're fine. Now, do I think that God doesn't care about your physical well-being at all? No, 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 I think he does. But see, the, the thing is, is it's, that's what's shiny, that's what's popular. But you get a bunch of people lining up at the front of the stage, repenting of their sin, that's a miracle. That's what God is concerned with. But that's not, so, that's not so shiny, is it? 
People coming forward and saying, man, my heart's been healed of brokenness. I, because the reality is, there is no surgeon on this planet that can fix your emotional state. <clears throat> so he tells us, he says, listen, some of you are going to come to a place where you're spiritually weak. And instead of, instead of isolating yourself, instead of hiding from other people, you need to bring it to the light and you need to come, you need to come to an elder. You need to come to somebody that you know is stronger and you need to ask for help. One of Satan's greatest strengths in, in help making sure that you stay as a suffering person is to isolate you, to get you away from people, away from community, away from those who, who are gonna challenge you in the truth. I heard of someone this morning said they're just, they want to be alone. They just want to be left alone. And being alone will kill you. I saw a secular study, which when I tell you the first part of the study may make the second part of the study uh, not relevant, but we'll go anyway. It said, it's, it was talking about men in particular. It said for men to be healthy, they need to get drunk at least twice a week. The Bible doesn't condone that. Let's be clear. The, but then the second one it said, the second part, which I, I think has some truth in it, is it says men need to be, they need to be proactive in getting outside with at least four other dudes at least twice a week, which is probably where the drinking thing came in, right? Like, like men, men are like, ah, oh, man, emotions can't do it. Give me a few beers. Okay, now I'm connecting with you. Right? Unfortunately, that's where we're at. And so the church, the church has to take this challenge and say, listen, you can't isolate yourself, especially men. Men tend to be. Men tend to be more isolated than women. And all the ladies said, it's true, it's true, it's true. And the men said, don't, don't talk about me, I'm fine. But we're not totally fine. Um, you know, we, I got to be careful. Like I said, it's more dangerous for me to say something politically incorrect than biblically incorrect. But we're, we're, we live right now in a culture within the United States of America where masculinity is under attack. And, and, and in some ways, let me just say pastorally, as your pastor, in some ways, I think rightfully so. And in some ways, I think it's a little off base. One of those things, they talk about masculinity being unhealthy. I saw one study that said, hey, listen, let's be honest about masculinity and how men really are. If, if you look, most school teachers tend to be female. Most of our children's workers tend to be female. Most of our volunteers tend to be female. When a man and a woman get together in a relationship outside of marriage and they have sex with a child outside of marriage, more times than not, it's the woman who takes responsibility for the child and the man bails on the relationship. So to me, what the study basically said is saying the, the, what's really happening, if we're honest, is it isn't a lack of masculinity. I'm sorry, it isn't, it isn't the, that masculinity is the problem. It's the lack of men being leaders within the home which the Bible says is true. Men, you are called to take responsibility for your family. And, and any woman in here who's ever been married never will see that as a chauvinistic thing. I see it all the time as a pastor. Women wanting, asking, pleading, begging for their husband to be a leader within the home that takes initiative in prayer, serving, church attendance. This morning I said, I said, uh, here, here's just, the, just, just to be honest with you, the truth of it, like, like Mother's Day, church is filled every Mother's Day. Because mom gets up in the morning and she's like, we're all going to church. <laughs> it's Mother's Day. And then we're going to go have brunch. Right? Men, Father's Day happens. 
we're going to go do something else. We're not going to church. It's Father's Day. Got to go do manly stuff. And it's unfortunate that, that church has become that thing where men see as, well, it's a secondary thing. It's not a primary thing. God's people is not a primary thing. What we need in our church more than anything else is men who stand up in a very masculine way and say, God is good. God is love. And God's calling you to be more gentle, more compassionate, more loving. He's calling you to be a man of prayer. These things are good. These things are healthy. And as I think the secular study is trying to get at, your joy is going to come from actually rubbing shoulders with other people. There is nothing more exciting for me than to do ministry with other dudes who are like-minded within Scripture. It's enjoyable. It's fun. And you feel connected. Even though at times you'll feel like running away. Now we run to the Lord because he's the God of all comfort, is he not? It tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. What kind of comfort? All of it. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. He says, listen, you're going to go through, and notice, notice what the text doesn't say. Notice the text within Corinthians when I read it to you. doesn't say that he's the God of every single kind of healing when you're going through affliction. No, no, no. It's comfort in the affliction. I like bringing up the story of Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In their particular trials and tribulations, God meets Daniel in the lion's den. And he meets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. He wants to give you comfort in the suffering that you're going for. Now take note here of something that's important. Let me, let me get to the point number three of the third call of prayer, and then I'll overlap some of these. Remember, the first one is you have an individual obligation in your suffering to pray to God. The second one is you have an obligation when necessary to go to your leaders who are strong and ask them to pray for you for healing. And the third one is what? Do you see it? Pray for each other. Pray for one another. So there's times when he says, listen, Right? This, this, again, is just rubbing against isolation. It's looking to your neighbor and saying, how can I pray for you? It's looking to your neighbor and saying, here's how you can pray for me. And then you pray for each other. Every Sunday, we should see little pockets of people just doing this. Let me pray for you. We should see every now and then people on the deck praying with other people. Because we're called, right? Remember, James is it's just hugely practical. Right? It isn't, there isn't a whole lot of doctrine in regards to grace and sovereignty and all of that. It's just like kind of like, you know, very proverbial, like, do it. <laughs> Are you sick? Pray. Are you so sick you can't pray for yourself? Go to the elders. Oh, and by the way, you have an obligation as a community to do this with each other, to pray for one another. And notice there's something in here that none of us really necessarily like doing unless it's in the privacy of our closet with the Lord himself. If anyone is in sin and he's committing sins, Confess those sins. Right, the popular topic of sin, you're going through something that you know, you know is, is not okay. And it's affecting you, and it's impacting you, and you haven't confessed it. And so you're not, you're not receiving healing. Do you know that it is possible for you to be sinning in such a way or to be dealing with something in such a way that it can actually impact you physically? That sin can manifest itself in you, in your body, physically. I came across this uh, really interesting study about uh, while I was doing this this week on psychosomatic illness. Is anyone familiar with that term? The idea behind psychosomatic illness is that 
is that it's psychosomatic. It's, it's in your head. You're not really sick, but there's something going on in your brain, and because it's in your brain, you think, <coughs> excuse me, you think, you think that you have these physical manifestations of something. And, and I came across this, this article where a doctor said this. He said, about psychosomatic illness, he said, it isn't just in your head. He said, it's in your body. Listen carefully to what he says now. You have real headaches from the worry. You have real ulcers from fear. You have real colitis from your anger. Your body is breaking, and it's not just in your head. It's in your colon. It's in your lungs. It's in your brain. It's not just in your mind. Psychosomatic illnesses are not imaginary illnesses. They are real illnesses, but they are aggravated and many times absolutely caused by, he says, spiritual issues. You know the Bible attests to this? You may well look, psychosomatic, science, just give me the word. I'll just give you the word. David cries out to God after committing sin against God. What does David do? Well, you remember the story of David? He goes out on the balcony, he turns on his iPhone, he starts looking at pretty women. He says to himself, that one looks really good. Sends an Uber to go grab Bathsheba. Bathsheba shows up to his house. He sleeps with Bathsheba. Sends her home. Finds out he got Bathsheba pregnant. Problem is, Bathsheba's got a husband. David doesn't want to be found out. So what does David do? He, he calls Uriah, her husband, home from war. He says, I want to bless you by allowing you to sleep with your wife, so please go, lay with her. And Uriah is an upstanding dude. He fears the Lord. He says, I can't. My brothers are out there on the field. They're not with their wives. I can't be with my wife and have a clean conscience. I can't do it. So he doesn't lay with her. He sleeps outside. David realizes he's in a conundrum. He's going to get caught if he doesn't do something. So he does the only logical thing he can think of. He sends Uriah to the front of the battlefield that Uriah will be slain and he'll die, which happens. And if you read through the Psalms, you'll find places where David, his sin hasn't been found out by the people, but God is well aware of David's sin. We know David gets found out. He has to repent, and all of his junk gets forward for everyone to see. But before he does that, in Psalm 32, listen to what he says. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as the heat of summer. There's other places in the Psalms where David basically speaks of himself as, as broken. He's falling apart. He feels sick. He feels ill. All, all because he had sin in his life that wasn't confessed. So I have to do my job as a pastor who loves you because, because James is a pastor who loves his people. If you read James closely, you'll see James is a true elder. He's a true shepherd. He loves his people. And I love our people in Sierra Bible Church. And you know... <laughs> We've gone through transition here. You know I'm built differently than Wayne. So when Wayne was senior guy, man, he, just, he likes to hug everybody. I like to pound your fist. But it doesn't mean I love you any less. I care for the well-being of our families. I care deeply that our young children, because I have several of them, will grow to love Jesus, that they're actually being discipled next door and not just entertained. I'm thankful that God has given us the resources to have a youth pastor that actually cares about teaching God's word and loves our kids, spends time with them, is compassionate. I'm thankful that on Sundays we have a team, not just myself, but guys like Brad Beers, guys like uh, Andrew Holbrook and, and Wayne and others who, who are dedicated to teaching God's word. 
We've got some dudes who teach at the men's breakfast who love God's word. I am thankful that what you are getting from this particular church in this building is a dedication to loving you, that you would be molded and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. And we recognize that we're not the only show in town. Okay, we're not the only church. We're just one of them. We're one expression of God's love. And we're thankful that God continues to bless us and use us and help people grow. And so for me to do that job, I have to say to you, because <laughs> I love you. Is it possible you feel some of the things you're feeling because you have not repented of sin? And this is the, this is the place where I leave, I leave it into the hands of the Holy Spirit for what that may be. Right? It's easy to pick on all the big ones, right? Pornography, drug addiction, alcohol abuse. But you know it can be subtle things too? Jealousy, bitterness, envy, strife, gossip. Here's the thing that I know right now because, because God loves you even more than I do. He's already telling you exactly what it is you already know. And this is where it's like, oh man, this feels really uncomfortable. Where some of the people said after service, I think you were, you were looking right at me, weren't you? Yeah, I was. It's on purpose. No, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know everything that everyone's dealing with. I know that you have in this text, you have a call to bring it to the light. Sin thrives and grows in darkness, just like mold. You get it in the cavity of a wall, and in the darkness where there is no light, it thrives, and it expands. In fact, it numerically, but the moment you expose that to sunlight, it dries up. And we know that Jesus is the ultimate light. We're, we're standing before him as the God who loves us. That's the idea. We say, let your yes be yes and your no be your no. Stand before the Lord and be totally transparent. Quit hiding your junk. You can't hide it from him. So why hide it from your other brothers and sisters? We say it all the time. Nobody in this room is perfect. I've had people who've come to, I don't feel comfortable because I feel like everybody knows so much more than I do. And I go, trust me, they don't know anything. Nobody, nobody knows every, only one God, only one Lord, only one Savior. He has all of the knowledge. The rest of us, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We're all struggling. We've all got things we're working through, every single one of us. And if you don't, if you're the guy who's joyful, well, then just sing praises. And you're the one guy everyone's looking at going, look at that guy. You know what I'm talking about. It's the one dude in church always got his hands raised. And we're thankful for him. Always got a smile on his face. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I, I'm jealous is all. Therefore, he says, you got to pray for one another. <clears throat> and then he uses the example of Elijah to show us that this, is, this idea of prayer is not, <clears throat> it's not just a common, unextraordinary thing. There's power to it. I've had to defend myself even at times with friends who both were Christian and non-Christian for the idea of prayer. You Christians, I had one guy say, you Christians, all you do, every time something happens, every time there's a shooting in a school or something happens politically and, you know, whether it's some social movement of some sort, you Christians, you just, you're resolved, you're always, oh, we'll pray for it. You don't ever do anything. You just pray. To which I respond, well, Yeah. You know, we, sh we do need to do things as Christians. We should be, like seriously, 
If Sierra Bible Church went away tomorrow, we would hope that Truckee, California would say, man, we were better off with them here. We should, we should be salt and light. We should be making our community better because we exist. So we should be doing things. But at the same time, we cannot, we cannot let go of the idea that prayer is one of the most powerful weapons. There's certain demons that Jesus says, listen, the only way you get rid of these demons is through prayer and fasting. So, so stop your picketing. Stop getting angry. Stop putting something on Facebook about it. Don't tweet it. Get down on your hands and knees and ask God to do something amazing. Hey, parents, you want to see something change in your kids' lives? Don't lecture them so much. And all the kids in the room are like, oh, man, preach it. <laughs> Pray for your children. One of the things my wife does is she actually grabs my children and she says to them, okay, we're praying now. And she'll just pray. And, of course, they're squirmy the whole time. You know? But she's, she's teaching them. Prayer changes your heart. It changes your mind. It changes the way you think. See, prayer isn't, prayer isn't coming to God and saying, God, change everything in the world. It's God, conform my mind. Conform me to what you want me to do, what you want me to say, what you want me to be. You have a will. And as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, you pray, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. So teach me and mold me and shape me because I'm missing something. And because I'm missing something, I'm anxious and I'm fearful and I have anxiety because my mind isn't right. So what do you do, man? You got anxiety? Pray. Ask for prayer. Pray for one another. Then he uses Elijah to show us how powerful it is. The story of Elijah is such that it didn't rain on the earth for three years and six months. And Elijah went before the Lord and he prayed and it, and it rained and then the fruit was born that came. One quote from great 4th century author here. I skipped all these because sometimes I hate using the clicker. There in prayer is an all-sufficient armory, a treasure undiminished, a mine never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by any storm. It's the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. Isn't that neat? And as Christians, we're to step out in faith. Here's where we get really, really practical, okay? So every week, to some degree or another, we say, this is the truth, this is God's grace, this is what he's done, here's the call, and now go do it. Right? Your life is not spent living on Sunday. Sunday is a place to gather together, to be reminded of the goodness of God, to get some strength into your soul, to remind you to be diligent in your prayer life, in your reading life, in your dedication life, to live for the glory of God, to not live for the glory of self, but to live for the glory of God. We say, go do these things in your life. Go live out the kingdom because the kingdom is, is here and now as well as in the future. Live out the goodness and the grace of Jesus. But every now and then we get an opportunity like we do this Sunday to say, here's application time right now. And it's that call to prayer. And so what I want to do is I want to ask those who help me lead this church to come forward that are here this morning, my elders that come forward as well as the, the worship team. And if you don't know who all our elders are, this isn't all of them. Some of them aren't here this morning, but there's several of them here. And I'm going to ask you to pray. So there's, there's three things you get to do as the team, Deborah and the team, uh, play music. There's three things you can do. Number one, hey, man, you're in a good place. Pray for yourself. 
If you're going through something but you got strength, pray for yourself. Number two, just like in the first service, there were several people who came forward who said, I need help in my, this idea of prayer. I need to confess some sin. And you may feel led to come to those in the church who have made, made a, an expression of faith towards this church to the Lord to help lead and guide this church. There are very few decisions that these guys haven't been a part of. So, so that way when we, when we make a change at the church, it isn't just me doing it, which is great. Because then I can say, blame, blame these guys. It's their fault. I told them not to do it, but they did it anyway. I'm, I'm kidding. But I'm also being serious. Th th this is a team effort. This isn't about one person except for the person of Jesus Christ. It's about him. And these men, these men, I can tell you honestly, these guys know God's word and they love God's word. And behind the scenes, these guys are doing some stuff that is just, it's really, really cool. I can't even share all of it with you. But it's cool stuff, neat stuff. And then thirdly, so number one, pray for yourself. You get to, if you want to just sit and pray, do so. If you want to come for prayer, come and do so. But number three, remember, pray for one another. So there's a couple things you can do with that one. One, you, you can actually allow God's Holy Spirit to convince you that maybe you should get up from this side of the room and walk to this side of the room and pray for somebody that you know God's laid on your heart. In the first service, there was a couple people who just, man, they were just bouncing around feeling led to pray for certain people. Or you may feel led to, to ask someone to pray for you. And you, you don't even necessarily have to express it. You can just say, can you pray for me? And then when you pray for them, just let, let, the, Lord, let the Lord move through you. I know it's kind of, this isn't something that we do all the time, so I know it's kind of like, oh, this feels kind of weird. That's okay. It can feel normal eventually. You just, it's, it's, it's being in communion and understanding that God cares for you and then he uses prayer to do it. And rejoice. And then we have up here, if you want, you can request. We have some oil. James says, in regards to the elders, use oil. Now, what's interesting, just so you know, and I'm teaching you as well as shepherding you, is that oil, there's nothing magical within the oil. In fact, in, in James's day, he actually was saying two different things. Oil was used to help actually loosen wounds and bruises. It was actually a medical thing that, that was used to help people feel better. But oil in the Bible is also an example of the Holy Spirit. It's almost as if James is saying, God, would you use any means necessary to bring healing? Whether it's your spirit, it's your spirit. But if it's medical, it's medical. God, would you just use whatever it takes to bring healing in my life? And if you want that, we can do that for you. And so we're just going to take the last mo few moments to do that. I, I shared with the first service, if you feel led to, to go home, you're not ready. Some, I know there are some of you in the room, you have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. So when we do communion... And when we do prayer things like this, this just it just feels weird to you. And hey, I get it, man. Being a Christian is weird. Let's just be honest. It's weird, but it's worth it. And it's beautiful when you understand it. And if you're not there yet, I totally understand. We're not judging you. We don't look down upon you. When the time is right, for every single person, when the time is right, they'll follow the Lord. They'll partake in communion. They'll serve next door. There are several of you in the room. You're on a journey, and I want to acknowledge that journey. And I want to let you know it's okay for you to be on that journey. It's just not okay just to stay in one spot forever. At some point, you've got to either progress or you've got to say, this isn't for me. And it's our prayer you progress. And you fall more in love with Jesus who gives us this great news that all sinners can be saved. Oh, amen? Let's pray. Lord, as we close, I pray that you would use our time together in the closing moments to 
to pray for one another, to pray for our church, to pray for our community, Lord, to pray for our churches in the area as a whole. Lord, we want to see all, all Christians in the Tahoe Basin, Lord, glorifying you and living for you. And we know, Lord, for that to happen, it requires not just one church, but many churches united under one banner to glorify your name. But for those who call Sierra Bible your, their home, Lord, I pray that you would continually draw us together, bond us to one another, make us like-minded, loving one another, forgiving one another, to live for your glory. Whatever it is that we present in prayer now before you, Lord, we ask you to do a great thing. In Jesus' name, amen.